0: Genesis 32, beginning at verse 1. This is the word of God. Jacob also went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, This is the camp of God. So he named the place Mahanaim. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, This is what you are to say, to my Lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I am sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau and now he is coming to meet you and 400 men are with him. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought, if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, Go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. He spent the night there, and from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows and 10 bulls and 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys, He put them in the care of his servants, each herd by itself, and said to his servants, go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. He instructed the one in the lead, when my brother Esau meets you and asks, who do you belong to and where are you going and who owns all these animals in front of you? Then you are to say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to my Lord Esau and he is coming behind us. He also instructed the second, the third, and all the others who followed the herds, you are to say the same thing to Esau when you meet him. And be sure to say, your servant Jacob is coming behind us. For he thought, I will pacify him with these gifts I am sending on ahead. Later when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him. But he himself spent the night in the camp. That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons and crossed the ford of the Jacob. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and the man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is Debrek. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Amen. We thank God for
1: Lord God, we thank you so much that Jesus Christ is Lord of all, and that tonight he is Lord over heaven and earth and every detail of life is under his lordship. We pray as we come into your word now that you would open it to our hearts and minds, open our hearts to receive it, that we may look to Jesus and embrace him in all that we are and all that we do. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Back in January 2021, I left the far off shores of Belfast and traveled south to set up home right here in County Armagh, and from the get-go, people knew I was a blow-in. And of all the clues that they could have, apparently it was my accent <laughs> that people would talk about the most. With some even saying, even from Ridge Hill, this church, that it's at its thickest when I preach. I don't know if you'd agree with that. But whether you would or whether you wouldn't, the truth is that even though there are some differences between the people of Belfast and up into County Antrim and the people of County Armagh, there are so many more things that we have in common. One of which is our love and appreciation for sport. But there is one sport that doesn't really unite us in love and appreciation as much as it does in confusion and suspicion. And it tends to be the sport of wrestling. Back in the 80s and more in the 90s, I had a great uncle from Belfast. And almost every day of his life, he turned on the TV to watch what's become known as professional wrestling. With big, strong men and women jumping about a ring as part of the WWF or WWE. And to the day of his death, He had absolutely no idea that it was fake. (laughs) He thought the whole thing was real. And he loved it. I think when we hear that word wrestling, we tend to think of what's become known as professional wrestling. And although maybe one or two of us might love and enjoy it, the truth is that many of us are kind of a bit confused by it and then are a bit suspicious of it, such that we don't really know what to do with it, never mind even how to think about it. And rather than really engaging with it, we tend to kind of just ignore it, and then walk away. Well, tonight we turn to an unusual passage in the Bible. It's all about wrestling. God wrestling with man. And maybe because of what we associate with that word wrestling, when we hear a passage like this, we can tend to be a little bit confused by it and suspicious of it, such that rather than really engaging with it, we can tend to ignore it and end up walking away. But as we walk through this passage tonight, what we're going to see is that this passage is given to us to unite us. And here's why. And this is where we're headed tonight. This passage is given to unite us in love and appreciation for God, that we may never, never ignore Him or ever walk away. So how do we see it? Look how this begins. Genesis 32, verse 1. Jacob went on his way. Now, earlier in chapter 27, we're told that Isaac blesses Jacob, and that is extremely important. Do you understand that? You've got to go back earlier in the book of Genesis, the passage that you've heard, I'm sure, on repeat, Genesis chapter 12, where God comes to Abraham, and he promises to lead him into a new land. So what becomes known as the promised land. And God promises to bless him as he and all of his descendants live in worship of him. Well, the promises of God are to be fulfilled through Abraham's son, Isaac, as God promises to give him a son. And so Isaac is presented as God's promised son. He's a key figure in the book of Genesis. And although you might expect the promises of God to continue to be fulfilled through Isaac's elder son, his firstborn son, Esau, the twist in the book of Genesis is that they're not. Instead, we're told that Esau's brother Jacob deceives his father so that Isaac instead blesses him. And as he receives the blessing, he's presented as the blessed child of the promised son, the one through whom God would continue to fulfill his promises. Well, as you and I have seen, when Esau finds out, he vows to kill him. And from chapter 28 to 31, Jacob leaves the promised land and travels east. And after 20 years, 20 hard years, God comes in chapter 31 and calls Jacob to go home, back to the promised land where God would continue to fulfill his promises. And so within that context, we're told in verse 1 that Jacob went on his way. You know what that means? It means that Jacob sets out fixed and focused on returning to the promised land, the land of blessings, where God would continue to bless the blessed child of the promised son. And as he goes, notice he meets angels. Angels of God met him. Because if you look ahead to verse 3, and then later into verse 11, we're told that Esau stands in his way, threatening to kill him and stop him from entering the blessed promised land. And as God sees the threat that he now faces, God sends him angels. And notice the description. Jacob calls them God's camp. You could also translate that as his army. And then he names the place Manhaim which means two camps or two armies, highlighting how Jacob and the army of people and possessions that he has are accompanied by God's angelic armies above. Which means, as one preacher says, he comes, God comes to remind him of his protective presence, that he is with him and he is able to lead him home. For as God now calls this blessed child of the promised son to go and journey towards that blessed promised land to come and sees the threat that he faces, a threat that seeks to kill him and stop him from entering that promised land, God now comes to show him that he is with him, he is for him, and he is able to safely lead him Straight home. This evening as we gather as God's church, God calls us to come and live as blessed children of the promised son. Not just Isaac, but the greater son. The ultimate son, God's true son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The one through whom God fulfills all of his promises. And you know what that means? That means likewise, to come and live in accordance with God's will and word and to take all that you have and all that you are and set your sights fixed and focused on reaching your promised land, the blessed place of heaven, your eternal home. And yet the reality for us tonight is that the Christian life is a dangerous life. Full of all kinds of danger, all kinds of threats that seek to spiritually kill you and take you off that path, off that journey, that you and I may never reach that eternal blessed place home. Those threats can come in all kinds of ways, it can present itself in temptation to sin in discouragement, in suffering, in pressure from others, in doubt, but whatever way it comes, whatever form it takes, the Christian life is full of danger. All kinds of threats that will seek to derail you as you seek to reach your home. I wonder tonight what threat you're facing in your life. Temptation, suffering, discouragement, pressure, opposition, doubt. What are you facing in your life that seeks to derail you tonight? Here as God comes to Jacob, he comes to remind all of us that he is with his people. God is with his people and he is able to take us home. How does Jacob deal with this threat? Notice what happens in verse 3. Because Jacob sends messengers out to Esau to meet him face to face. In other words, in light of the threat he faces, Jacob now seeks to address it head on. And notice why we're told in verse 5, in order that he might find favor in his sight. In other words, that he'll go out to Esau And take the opposition against him and remove it in order that he may reconcile with his brother. In order that he may put right that which is so wrong in accordance with God's word and God's will. Do you notice how he does it? He doesn't ignore who he is. He doesn't play down that he's the blessed child of the promised son. Did you notice... The description he, he wants Esau to know in verse 4 that he has sojourned with Laban. I think that word sojourn means something to you here. But here in the Bible, that's a phrase, as others will point out, given to highlight how he belongs in the promised land because he is the blessed child of the promised land. And then he lists what he's got. Oxen, donkeys, flocks, servants, male servants, female servants. Why? As a sign of God's blessing. Because he is the blessed child of the promised son. And so without playing down who he is, he nevertheless humbles himself. Calling himself a servant. And his brother, his master, as he humbles himself to the will of God in order to put right something that is so wrong. Earlier I mentioned sport. and I think it's true to say that every sport in the world has offensive play and defensive play. An effort to win and an effort not to lose. I wonder tonight if you were to describe your Christian life, would you say you're more offensive or defensive. I don't mean when it comes to your personality and demeanor. I mean when it comes to facing danger in your life, threats that seek to lead you astray. Are you more defensive in the sense that you want to avoid them, ignore them, pretend they don't exist, or offensive, willing to confront those threats head on? Here, as Jacob seeks to confront them head on, so he demonstrates that the blessed child of the promised son, he journeys towards the promised land by facing those threats head on. Because it's the only way he might remove them in order to keep going on his journey home. What's threatening you tonight? What's threatening you as you walk, as you seek to live the Christian walk towards that promised land to come? <clears throat> Temptation, discouragement, suffering, opposition, doubt. What's threatening to lead you astray? How do you deal with it? The way to stay on track its not to ignore it. It's not to pretend it doesn't exist it's to face it head on. That as you seek to apply the word of God in accordance with his will, that which is so wrong might be made right. That temptation might be removed in pursuit of peace. That suffering might turn to restoration. That discouragement to encouragement. The pressure from others might turn to fellowship in the gospel. The doubt might turn to encouragement as you seek to put right that which is so wrong. Is that you tonight? Are you seeking to confront that which seeks to lead you astray so that threat, that danger might be removed as you journey home? It does raise a question though. Because as hopeful as that might sound, you do wonder, is it realistic? Is it realistic? As hopeful as it might sound that the blessed child of the promised son seeks to set his sights on the promised land and confront every danger that stands in the way that the threat may be removed, as he seeks to put right that which is so wrong, but you can't help but wonder, is it realistic? Or is this just some kind of unrealistic quest? Well, it seems like it's pretty unrealistic in one sense. Because notice what happens. We're told in verse 6, as Jacob's men go out, look what happens. Nightmare scenario. They come up to Esau and word comes back that he wants to meet Jacob along with four hundred men. In the Bible, that's the size of an army. Which means as Jacob seeks to confront that which threatens him, things don't appear to get better. They seem to get worse. And as they seem to get worse, notice what happens, we're told, in verses seven down to twenty-one. In the midst of Jacob, we're told, in verse 7, he's greatly afraid and he's distressed. What does he do? He divides up all that he has, from verses 7 to 8, in an attempt, a desperate attempt, to hold on tightly to whatever is good in his life. And as he prays to God, in verses 9 to 12, seeking for protection from God, he nevertheless, in verses 13 down to 21, He offers all, so much of what he has to Esau in an attempt to win him over that by all of his power and all of his might he somehow might do something to put right that which is so wrong. Can you not identify with this tonight? Is this not exactly what happens to us too? Do you ever find there's something in your Christian life that threatens to lead you astray, distract you, kill your faith, and then you confront it, only to find that it seems to make it worse? And then when you do, do you not find yourself holding on tightly to the good things in your life? Praying to God for his help and then doing absolutely everything you possibly can to put it right? It's just not our lives too. Well, it's in the midst of this uncomfortable reality. This is another, yet another thing that's so amazing about the Bible. It doesn't deny reality. It's in the midst of this uncomfortable reality. Where well, the blessed child of the promised son seeks to face these challenges, these threats head on, in order to put right that what is so wrong, only to find that nothing that he does can possibly put it right in what seems like an impossible quest. That we're introduced in verses 22 to 32 about a story of wrestling. And notice what we're told verse 24. When Jacob was alone, a man came and wrestled. Now, this isn't describing something out of the WWE. This is describing embracing, holding on tightly. He invites Jacob to embrace him and grip him and hold tightly to him. And as he does, what does the man do, we're told? Verse 25, he puts his hip out of joint, which seems absolutely bizarre. Until you realize in the context of this chapter, what's he doing? He's doing as one preacher puts it. He's dislocating, he's removing his natural strength that as he's naturally weakened, as the natural strength that he has is taken away from him, then, then we're told in verse 26 that he turns to the man and seeks to receive, inherit the blessing of God through him. As he realizes that the one with whom he wrestles is God himself. For it's as God comes to wrestle in the form of a man with Jacob in this way and weakens Jacob, removes his natural strength, that Jacob turns to him and seeks to inherit the blessing of God through him. As God's already demonstrated his power and might, that he is present with him, able to lead him home. So God comes to teach him a lesson that he will never forget and a lesson for you and me tonight that we should never forget too. And it's this. Quite simple. The only way to make it to the promised land of heaven to come, the only way, is to face all of those threats and all those dangers that seek to lead you astray head on, but not in your own power and might. but only in complete dependence upon God, as you give all forms of self-reliance and self-dependence up and you look to him, that through you, God by his power might remove all threats, all dangers, and very safely lead you home. And as Jacob embraces God in this way, notice what happens. God gives him a new name as a sign of his blessing and then he blesses him, verse 29. It's a sign of how Jacob and all of his descendants will overcome the threats of this world and reach their home. As then we're told in verse 31, he limps forever looking to God for power and might. See, here there's, here's the truth this evening. The truth is that as unrealistic it is to seek to face the threats and dangers that seek to lead you astray in your Christian life tonight, as unrealistic as it is for you to come through it and survive, and for you to overcome the threats and dangers that you're going to face in your life, and for you to put right that what is so wrong in accordance with God's will and word, It is so realistic and so true that in coming to God and embracing Him and relying on Him and depending upon Him that the power of God is such that He will work through you and in you as you confront it head on to lead you through the danger and safely and safely lead you home. Last November we were on honeymoon and we went to Disney World like two big kids. You know, Disney's good crack. I love roller coasters. But Disney has a message that it constantly repeats. Did you ever notice it? very subtle. It's in the cartoons and up into the movies, which are still cartoons, or some aren't, but you know what I mean. It's got messages that it continues to repeat over and over and over again, and it's this. You're good enough. You're able enough. You're strong enough that whatever challenges you face in life, you have the power within you to overcome them. It's lovely we message that, isn't it? But it's total nonsense. Dangerous nonsense. As God comes to Jacob and seeks to teach him a lesson that he will never forget, and as he speaks through his word tonight to you and me, he comes to teach all of us a message that we must never forget. Because as he speaks to Jacob and people like you and me, who have descended from Adam, the first man who ever lived, as we spoke about earlier in the catechism, a man who turned against God in sin and through him sin entered the world, or a people who have been born into a state of sin and brokenness and weakness and therefore are completely dependent upon God for salvation and help in all of life such that as God comes to Jacob and teaches him a lesson he must never forget and speaks to us tonight with a lesson that we must never forget, it's that we aren't good enough, we aren't strong enough, we aren't able enough to overcome the dangers and challenges and threats that we face in this life in order that we would reach our eternal home. It's in coming to him and embracing him and depending upon him That he is able, he is powerful enough for him to lead you home. This is an unusual passage tonight with a lesson that I think we ought never to forget. But it does raise one final question as we bring this to a close. Because the blessed child of the promised son learns that the only way to face the challenges and dangers in life is to turn to God and rely upon his power and his might, you can't help but wonder, before you go into chapter 33 and find out exactly what happens, how does God demonstrate his power in his life? How does he do it? Yes, God might be so powerful as to live, as to play it out through his life to overcome those challenges and threats, but how does he do it? How does God demonstrate his power in Jacob's life? Well, this is what's so stunning about the Bible. It's one book. And just as the Bible anticipates a greater son than Isaac, a true and ultimate promised son of God, who the Gospels tell us is Jesus Christ himself, God in human flesh, the one through whom God will fulfill all of his promises to his people, so the Gospels introduce us to a greater Jacob. You know what's stunning about the life of Jesus? Just like Jacob, he was born in the promised land before he left it, out of fear for his life, before he returned at the very beginning of his ministry. Not just for the purpose of re-entering the promised land in this life, but in order that he may lead his people into the eternal promised land of heaven to come a people out of which he will build a mighty nation of blessed children of him, the promised son, not simply built upon the 12 tribes of Israel, but the 12 apostles of God as he sends them out to all four corners of the globe. And as Jesus Christ seeks to build a nation of blessed children of him, the promised son, so he lives a life himself that as he faces the dangers and challenges and threats to his life, what does he do? He overcomes them and defeats them by his power and might in accordance with God's will and God's word. To the point where it would take him to a cross. That on the cross as Jesus Christ dies for the sins of his people, he overcomes the biggest danger of all sin and rises again to win them to the new life. So that as he, together with God the Father, pours out his risen spirit upon the people, it's through his spirit that he would powerfully work in and through our lives so that he might overcome the threats and dangers that we face that he would lead us home. The way God demonstrates his power is through the greater Jacob, the Lord Jesus Christ, even today. Wrestling might not be your thing this evening, but whatever your thing is, tonight God calls you to come, to come and be his child. As Jesus calls you to be his blessed child, the child of the blessed Son, so he calls us this evening, even here in Rich Hill, to go and live. And as we live, to depend upon him. That whatever challenge and threat and danger you face in your life, and only you know, but whatever you're facing this evening, to look to him and grasp him tightly and depend upon Him. And in the power of the risen Spirit of the Lord Jesus, He will lead you home. So tonight, whatever your view is of wrestling, may you come and embrace the promised Son. And may this passage lift your heart to unite us in love and appreciation of God that you may never, never, never ignore Him until you get to the day where he embraces you. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you humbly, and we recognize that every single one of us is weak and sinful but the grace of God is such that you call us all to come tonight and receive you as Savior and Lord. I pray, Lord, tonight, if there are people here who are resisting you, open our hearts to see you and embrace you as Savior and God. And then would you lead us, Lord God, to live as children, blessed children of Jesus Christ, Depending upon you, that through your power and might, you may lead us through all the challenges of life and safely lead us home. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.